0: Your good luck is not a reason for guilt. It is part of your power to be used in support of those things you say you believe. How much luck are you prepared to spend putting your dreams for a better world into action? Absorbing without use is the gravest error, not a way to embrace the void. ever gonna make it back from the void I suppose it was gonna be you oh well you know one man's void is another man's piece of cake
1: what about the reality we left behind what about the reality where Hitler cured cancer Morty the answer is don't think about it
0: people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect but actually from a non-linear, non subjective viewpoint it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey stuff contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their
1: people.
0: Welcome friends to episode 241 of Embrace the Void, where all the conversations that are possible are actual. I'm your host, Aaron, and this week we are talking about race and religion, so let's just do the thing. Life ends in death, which we as a species are cursed with knowing, resulting in something. My guest this week is Mandisa Thomas, founder and president of Black Nonbelievers, Mandisa serves on the board of American Atheists and American Humanist Association and has received several awards for her work as a community organizer, most recently the Irving and Annabelle Wilson Award presented by a uh, friend of the show, Unitarian Universalist Church. So uh, Mandisa, would you like to say hi to the void?
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to have this chat. Do you want to start by telling folks a little bit? So so we met at the American Atheist Conference. I got to see your talk, which was great. And I'm excited to talk about that and the response to it a little bit. Um, but do you want to maybe start by telling folks a bit about your background and how you came to found Black nonbelievers?
1: Sure. So I am originally a New York City native, and I also had a pretty non-religious upbringing. Uh, It was pretty secular. It was actually very what folks would consider woke now, right? I I grew Mm. up very much learning about Black history and culture, learning about institutional racism and how that has impacted Black communities, how that has impacted Black activism and and other areas of, of Black life. And I grew up with an awareness that most young people don't get, and and also in a low income, like working class neighborhood, no less. That's mm-hmm. where I'm from. So I don't come from what is considered economic privilege for sure. So uh, many mm-hmm. of my experiences are lived in addition to my my education and also. Uh, the, you know, the development of my critical thinking skills, not having been mm-hmm. raised in church, so to speak. So, but mm-hmm. I, I did sing in various churches under a voice instructor when I was a child, and I'm mm-hmm. also a graduate of the High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts in Manhattan. So my, my background was very, very eclectic. I was Mm -hmm. exposed to a lot of information. I read a lot of books as a kid. And um, I remember the first time someone asked if I was atheist. And that was when I was in my freshman year of high school, I was 14 years old. And because Mm -hmm. I was so outspoken about issues that impacted black communities and black people. And so I was asked, you know, I was asked if I was atheist and I asked what that meant. And I was told that I didn't believe in heaven or hell. And over mm-hmm. the years, I had to think about what I thought about the, those concepts. And I could never reconcile that there was either a heaven or hell to go to because there was no evidence of it. And also, I kind of paid attention to when I heard some of the Christian pastors when I was a visiting singer in the church or in these churches, I would kind of sort of pay attention to those sermons and I would think, huh this sounds really odd, you know, some of the teachings, especially the Trinity, you know, the Trinity concept of the Christian God. So that was always very interesting and weird to me. And mm-hmm. I grew up reading various religions and, and mythology growing up. So I was able to compare and contrast various beliefs and and various God, you know, like uh, the various deities and in, in folklore. And for me, Christianity and Islam, but mainly Christianity stood out as being very polarizing and having learned early on about how this impacted black communities in particular, especially with Christianity being other, if, you know, otherwise forced on, you know, on, on, on black people, especially during uh, the mm-hmm. period of slavery, that was something that stuck with me for a very long time. And, um, you know, I over the years, I would reconcile saying that I was spiritual but not religious. And I would disavow the term atheist for a very long time until I really started to reflect on my, you know, my feelings uh, about the church and how dogmatic it can be and how religion is so dogmatic in many ways. And mm-hmm. after connecting with people like Jeremiah Kamara and others uh I just uh, i came i re i came around to reidentifying as an atheist in two thousand ten so um and I really do credit the upbringing I had um in addition to all of that because it gave me the foundation to question and reconsider. Everything that I had been taught growing up, because even though I wasn't indoctrinated into religion, I was still indoctrinated as most of us are. And so it really Mm -hmm. gave me an opportunity to reflect on that indoctrination, what I really thought about religion and the God concept, and fully understanding what it meant to be an atheist. So that's, and that's when I came to the decision to firmly stand on that identity, as well as, you know, being a humanist and free thinker and skeptic, etc.
0: Interesting. Did you have experiences? So you said your family was non not religious. And my understanding is there are higher degrees of religiosity often in black communities. Did your family or did you personally experience like some levels of, um, Awkwardness, ostracism, uh, you know, weird behaviors because of that background? Yes,
1: actually, um, it was just my immediate family, like in my household, you know, my mother and my brothers. Um, we didn't really go to church often. So religion wasn't a church, did not play a central role in our lives. Uh, I also mm-hmm. credit my maternal grandmother and my, and my grandfather for being pretty... I guess, um, liberal with religion in their household. I have uncles who are Christians, our family members who are Christians, family members who are Muslim. And so my grandparents on my mother's side did not, push religion one way or the other. However, my grandmother was very, very festive. She loved celebrating holidays. There was never any prayer mm-hmm. before meals. Easter was always about the Easter bunny and the candy and the eggs. And I really appreciated that. My father's side of the family, on the other hand, different story. My mm-hmm. my, my my father's mother is very religious and Actually, my mother would let me go to church with her if I wanted to. She belonged to one of those holiness churches, which, you know, where they do all the, the shouting and the kicking and screaming and such. And, and that was very fascinating to me it was actually really weird to have that mm-hmm. experience because the churches that i sang in uh, when i was younger they didn't really do all of that or or not that i noticed i mean they they sang and they you know they, you know, they mm-hmm. had choirs and they had rituals but it was never anything as like dramatic in any way so, but my grandmother in particular was it is very very religious my dad however never really picked up on church. And and he passed away in February of this year. And I made sure, thank you. Um, I made sure that uh, my brother and I made sure that the memorial that we held for him was reflective of his non-religious stance because um, mm. he grew up in church and he and I had conversations about this. You know, he was forced to go to church. He hated it. And um, he just never really got anything out of religious belief and, and going into church. He would go for special occasions, but never to, you know, never regularly to the point where he felt like he got anything out of those teachings. And so... Uh, but for my my other family members, definitely. and and like I said, mm-hmm. even on my mother's side, there are some believers. there are many believers on that side of the family, but do they go to church every day? No. um now when i when I came mm-hmm. out as an atheist, you know, some of them acted a little weird. You know, they were like, well, what do you believe and and how can you be an atheist and and such? But I also mm-hmm. found that there were other atheists and agnostics in my family. So that was pretty refreshing. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, and, yeah. And also some of them who, even if they are still religious, they don't necessarily subscribe. They don't subscribe to fundamentalism. Um, they certainly can understand the questions that many non-believers have. And many of them also have their critiques of the church. So that was very, very refreshing to find in my family, even though mm-hmm. there were still some who were just like, wow, you know, like what is an atheist? You know, what is it mm-hmm. that you do or don't believe? And so there were some curious questions. One of my aunts was a little worried that she wouldn't be able to talk to me the same in mm-hmm. the same way anymore. So there I, I dealt with those misconceptions and some of that, uh, You know, some of that misunderstanding, like most everyone else, Uh, there was a cousin who got married years ago, somehow, some way, you know, that invitation got lost in the mail. So, um, Mm -hmm. I, like many other atheists have had to deal, have had to endure and encounter uh, some loss, if you will. And of course, you know, it, it definitely does not help if, um, if many of your family members Still do belong to some sort of religious institution uh, in some mm-hmm. form or other.
0: Yeah, and I just want to highlight Black non believers collaborated with American atheists on the recent. Um, you know, Martin giant national survey of nonbelievers. Um, and there was a really wonderful um, sort of they, they put out a couple of like breakdowns of specific subgroups like young people. And there's one on black nonbelievers in particular, which I think is excellent for folks who want to, you know, see more about the details of uh, the challenges of being in that, you know, at that particular identity intersection. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Do you want to add something?
1: Yeah, no, I was going to say that I know we haven't talked about black nonbelievers as an organization yet, but yes, we we do. There, I'm glad that there is now data to quantify what we have been saying all along that um, black folks who are non religious tend to have higher rates of concealment. There are higher rates of depression, mm-hmm. especially as it pertains to um, to being engaged with black communities. And uh, and also, uh, but that is particularly, you know, one of the the points of this, uh, you know, of the of the data is that, you know, we have a we have a pretty harder road ahead of us when it comes to getting folks to openly identify and openly engage as nonbelievers because it is very very polarizing to do so in Black communities still.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, one of the things from that survey that I, that particularly stuck with me was that one of the biggest impediments is that um black individuals often don't know anyone who openly identifies as an atheist and so that's so like what you were saying there in your story about when you came out like so many other people felt like they could share that as well i think is um you know very indicative of that that kind of pattern but um we could i could ask you questions about that side of things for the whole hour but i wanted to i wanted to talk about some of the advice that you have brought to the sort of larger american atheist um movement um specifically in the um in the talk that you gave at the mm-hmm. convention um so you gave a talk that was about sort of reasons why there might be persistent white supremacy in um secular communities and how and what people can do to address mm-hmm. uh those kinds of concerns and um for folks who who folks who don't follow you know twitter um first of all congratulations for living a healthier life uh, <laughs> but also there was a large sort of dust up about one of the particular slides um from that talk and i want to talk through um you know some of the concerns that were sure. raised about that but first you want to just like Maybe just give a brief overview of like what the talk is about, and like maybe sure. one one main thing that you think you see very clearly persisting on this um, front.
1: Yes, so the talk I gave, like you said, was how to address white supremacy in the secular community and do something about it. And the point of the talk was that, as an eleven, as an activist in this community for eleven years, um, there are ways that all of us in some form or fashion and i said that in a talk um may be upholding white supremacy without even realizing it and as we talk about being more diverse being more inclusive and being more anti and being more anti racist and trying to bring more people into the community because that is still a point of Contention. people want to know how can they improve on their engagement with other mark with further marginalized communities and often mm-hmm. leaders like myself um, and other people of color are asked how can you know how can larger organizations help you know help with this and we give our advice we give our level of expertise if you will Sometimes it Mm -hmm. falls on deaf ears, even by good, well-meaning people. And I gave a talk, not just simply from my observance, but um, also my level of engagement. Um, My background, if for people who don't know, is in hospitality and in management, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that is something that I have brought with me into. This this movement, especially when I run my organization, Black Nonbelievers, and there are just there are just things that we may not realize that we're doing that upholds principles of white supremacy, institutional premises of white, white supremacy. <clears throat> it's even when we're trying to do better and when we're trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And so that was the synopsis of the talk. And as well as what we could do, continue to do to be a better community and and lead by example where other movements fail, uh, especially Mm -hmm. coming from religious institution where white supremacy is definitely upheld and it's more subtle than anything else nowadays. You know, I talked about Mm -hmm. how what people, when people think of white supremacy, they think it's often overt. They often think that it's like the storming of the Capitol, which it is. (laughs) And, um, but because it is so foundational and so institutional now, we may not even realize that we're doing it. And so the, the point was to, as an organizer, as someone who has spoken on this, uh, extensively over the years. Um, and we talk about, uh, you know, the history of racial injustice and and white supremacy and how that impacts our movement as well. Uh, it was a necessary, you know, it, we, I felt it was necessary to address it from from mm-hmm. a standpoint of an organizer and a leader of this movement who is very hands-on. And so these mm-hmm. are ways that we can at least improve with, you know, Without necessarily having to feel like we have to go through this (laughs) this full on formal education process, but practical means, you know, um, and and doing, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to just do things better on an everyday basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So within that context, right, the what happened was there was a slide, mm-hmm. which was your list of ways that one might be upholding mm-hmm. white supremacy. And, I, I, you know, you put the word may on there. Um, mm-hmm. Some folks, I think, would accuse that of being a weasel word, but I think you genuinely mean that, like, there's, there's a chance that you're doing these things in a way that might not be, but it's something to be concerned about. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, this slide got posted by American atheists and then got you know, retweeted by a bunch of anti-woke people online, freaking out about it. Um, But I I want to sort of do the best I can, right, to kind of play anti-woke atheist advocate (laughs) here for the sake of, you know, like, Well, I guess what I want to do is, I think there are people out there who would have, you know some version of these concerns and would you know benefit from hearing a response to them that isn't the kind of back and forth that you're going to see on Twitter right um so so for, for first first of all right this might even not even be an anti-woke concern, but I just like want to ask you a sort of a question about the slide itself. Sure. Um, you know, it had things on it like, just to give folks an example, um, you know, constant appeal to academic scholarship, especially mm-hmm. white and male, mm-hmm. uh, is one way that one could uphold white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, the language there, do you consider that kind of language deliberately provocative? Or how do you think about you know, the phrasing of that in your, as part of your overall project?
1: Um, It was just very straightforward and it was very Mm -hmm. honest. Um, It wasn't trying to be provocative, but it was the, it's the truth. (laughs) Um, When we think about who we uphold as our heroes in this community, um, Mm -hmm. they are often very white and male and not to say that, and, and, I want to be clear that I was not saying that there was anything inherently wrong with that, um, but when we hold that as the standard for what is our community, especially if we are trying to bring in more people of color, more young people, um, some of the some of the folks who are, and and we're talking specifically about. Um, the academic scholarship or is it D? De- okay, sure. So there were two that I that, said, that, Yeah, that yeah, or constant, the, um, I know yeah. there's
0: also like the pop culture books as well, that sort of right, slant yeah, that Right, yeah, constant.
1: Now we are still living in a very Eurocentric society and um, a Eurocentric world that has upheld mm-hmm. the standard of white right is right. <laughs> and and these, these standards of, well, if it is anything other than, a european scholar then it holds less weight and less credibility. So mm-hmm. um and and this is this has been infused in our public school system how we see things in our you know in entertainment and and just how we see things on just in everyday society. And our community when we continue to uphold um it's, and I said constant, I, you know, I didn't say like, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that, well, if you do it all the time, then you're racist, right? <laughs> I mean, well, you know, that's, but these are things to consider because now, and and not just now, but there have always been, you know, I never fail to, when I ask people who Dr. Carter G. Woodson was, mm-hmm. they never fail to, you know, be unaware of who he was um, mm-hmm. And when I asked the question, um, you know, doc- Dr. Woodson, who was a Harvard educated African American historian, was the founder of Negro History Week, which later became Black History Month. And mm-hmm. he was a huge critic of religion you know he was considered a free thinker so you have there is a number there's a there's a lot of academic scholarship that isn't necessarily white and male however many people look to them as the default and mm-hmm. sure now there is more information you have, you have you have authors like chris cameron with his book black free thinkers a history of African American mm-hmm. secularism, yeah, I was just say, yeah. but you also uh-huh. had Norm Allen, who wrote about the African American humanist experience. So there have been mm-hmm. other Black scholars and Black activists over the years, even though they have been few and far in between. Um, they have there are there are works that can be referenced when it comes to you know re- religion and and non belief not e- and and not even that that doesn't even have to be presented by people of color or from the black Mm -hmm. demographic. But there are, there are a lot of people who may not even know about them or they haven't done as much due diligence to bring these voices to the forefront. Mm -hmm. So, and also the other piece to the academic scholarship is there could be, and like I said, at the talk was that the the public, Mm -hmm. especially the education system has not necessarily been kind to the economically disadvantaged. So this notion that you absolutely must have a PhD or some type of academic scholarship in order to be considered valid or accredited is a huge disservice to, you know, everyday people who may have had questions about religion or their beliefs but they may be dealing with other societal factors that may have not necessarily granted them the opportunity to a higher education. So when there is, and especially if it is white and male and not representative of the of mm-hmm. demographic. So it's like you already mm-hmm. have a dearth of people of color in the movement for various reasons, but when it's constantly upheld that these are the people who we should be looking to? What does that look like when we we fail to acknowledge that we are still living in a Eurocentric society that has perpetuated the you know the disfranchisement of people of color? You know we have mm-hmm. to look at that and and consider what that you know how we may be perpetuating premise, principles of white supremacy by 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 overlooking those
0: factors. Right. Okay. So I think that's a, I think there's a good pushback there, and I, I like I particularly like the reference to Carter Woodson because I will freely admit that I didn't know the name until last semester when I was taking history of African American education for my PhD, mm-hmm. and we got to read a book about him, which was wonderful. Um, he also comes up um in history of African American philosophy podcast. They do a great coverage of him and other folks um, but yeah despite him being sort of the founder of black history month i i wasn't familiar with his background so um, you know i'm sympathetic as a as a fellow person raised woke um, to the idea that these sorts of claims are sort of they see they appear to me to be straightforwardly factual claims uh, what would we then what would you then say to a sort of modified version of this concern where you know i, I get what you're saying but I'm concerned that the phrasing is going to turn off moderates who we're trying to bring into the movement. How do we, is there some way that we could moderate this language for the sake of bringing them in and also not generating, you know, anti-woke outrage porn?
1: As someone who is already working at a disadvantage, you know, as a Black woman in this movement who already receives much less support than than predominantly white organizations because that is often the default. I don't always have the luxury of always caring about other people's feelings because certainly um, there has been a lack of Perception, if you will, when it comes to their, Black women's voices, have always been policed in this country, the voices of Black people in particular. You know, when we look at, and also very dismissed, when we look at the attention that Breonna Taylor's death received or did not receive, as a, you know, a, in it, you know, let's say, for example, George Floyd, which was extremely brutal and extremely tragic but often the lives mm-hmm. of you know of women are dismissed in this in this country and particularly black women we are often victim blamed and victim shamed and so we often have to stand stronger and stand more firm especially when we are working with extreme odds against us and to expect that we're supposed to play into respectability politics to mm-hmm appeal or try to attract more people then it's like well where is our where is the support for the work that we do and we often have to work with these extreme odds against us but yet if we say the wrong thing we're you know we could be easily draw you know driven out of the movement or easily dismissed
0: mm-hmm. so it's
1: like where is you know what happened to as a community at least trying to be objective and asking those questions because I mean it was pretty straightforward. There are some people who the same way we challenge believers, the same way we challenge anyone to have a to, to become uncomfortable or to be to get comfortable with being uncomfortable when there is information mm-hmm. presented that you may not have considered before. This is, this is very, this, there isn't much of a difference there. And Mm -hmm. I think that as a, you know, like I said, as a black woman in this movement, who has had, who has experienced these things? And yes, there are references and resources. There are many other women of color and other people of color who can tell you what they've experienced as a result of privileged non-people of color And Mm -hmm. they're loaded and lauded expectations. (laughs) And so sometimes when we are, you know, when, when we're as, and especially as we're once again talking about, you know, being more diverse and being more considerate of other people, you know, sometimes we don't have the luxury. I mean, look at what's going on now in Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court. Sometimes the language coming from those who are impacted is not always going to be flowery and pretty. We are dealing with a gritty and ugly reality here, and sometimes our words have to reflect the the urgency that we deal with. Not that we are being in any way deliberately offensive, but we have to show Mm -hmm. the urgency of what we're doing, and sometimes we cannot always be flowery in our language. You have to feel the urgency of what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I want to jump on another thread that you brought up there about the funding side of things. This mm-hmm. was another... So another uh, piece on the um, on the uh, slide was, um, you know, not uh, giving giving funding to... I don't remember the exact phrasing you had. Giving funding sure. to primarily white uh, secular organizations or something along those lines yeah. so uh, the, or not funding. Yeah, so yeah. The,
1: the phrase, the, the exact line was lack mm-hmm. of financial support for BIPOC right. organization and initiatives. So right. yeah, it was okay. lack of, meaning that right. we are at a disproportionate advantage of receiving the uh, a fraction of the support that other organizations do.
0: Um, yeah, so- Mm -hmm. Sorry, I wanted to to unpack that one a little bit because so I I saw like a um, a kind of weak version of an objection to it, which was essentially you're just gaslighting people into giving more money to your organization. I don't think that's (laughs) a particularly interesting objection, but like I think there's a slightly more sophisticated version of that that could be something like, are we at risk of diluting the idea of what it means to support white supremacy and like, you know, so for example, Am I at risk of supporting white supremacy if I donate my money to American atheists instead of black non-believers?
1: Not at all. I'm. I'm not saying okay. on it. On its face, these organizations need support. And I actually, I think I, if I, my memory serves me correctly, I actually encourage people to continue to support American atheists, as well as supporting the American Humanist Association, which now has its first black uh, executive director. Um. Mm-hmm. What we've seen over the years, and this has been documented in a number of in many commentary, even when some of the, you know, first of all, we, we sometimes when um, when there are outlets and other organizations that promote the work of black nonbelievers, there is often a pushback from many white atheists. Well, why does there have to be a black nonbelievers? Why is mm-hmm. this racist? Why your organization is racist? I can't join. So therefore it's racist. Which, if you look at our website, we never said that was the case. <laughs> so when we, look, um, when we look at things, you know, historically, when mm-hmm. it comes to Black-led organizations, and again, going back to, the, you know, us living, still living in a very, you know, Eurocentric society, where it's been often impressed upon us, even without realizing it, that, that being white is the standard that mm-hmm. it often denotes what we should be uh, what we should be um you know uh following so when there are other organizations when there are black led organizations and black initiatives um subconsciously um there is there is a less people are maybe less inclined to support or if they do support um they want you know, they 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 tend to want things to be done in a certain way that mm. may denote just implementing white supremacist ideals, but with black faces.
0: Um, so like more respectability politics.
1: Definitely like more that. respectability politics. And there was a report that came out in 2020, which, um, you know, w- which uh, denoted that, black women groups and organizations led by black women receive less money and the money that was received came with more strings attached. People want to know mm-hmm. what we're doing with the money as if there is and that that lends itself to anti-blackness. This this mm-hmm. notion that black people cannot be trusted, that we aren't capable or qualified enough to hold these positions. Um there was a conversation that took place um uh, during, you know, after the, um, you know, after the, and this goes back to the academic appeal about how some of the secular conferences, how, when you see the lineup of speakers and all they have are PhDs and they're, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, they're, and they're, they're ignoring that these folks are still human beings and are capable of very atrocious behavior. <laughs> but, right. um, but going back to this particular point is that when black communities, Even though we are not, I don't like to put ourselves, I don't like to put us down as just simply being downtrodden. I mean, we've had to work against some serious odds as Mm -hmm. a community. Um, But what tends to happen is that because of this this embedded anti-Blackness, there are times where we don't even support each other. And I know some folks will be, uh, you know, will be pissed at me about that it wasn't simply about Mm -hmm. white people not supporting, you know, it Mm -hmm. was simply, I see a lot of black atheists who will constantly put in white resources and, you know, they appreciate the work we do, but coming out of having come out of the church and being resent, you know, and, and still unpacking that process. There's still less of a tendency to even chip in a few dollars to the work that black nonbelievers does, even though we are ultimately supporting them and when we talk about the economic disadvantages, which, you know, that, that, that many black folks have, they may not simply have the ability to support mm-hmm. the way other philanthropists may. And so, you know, just in thinking about, you know, the, 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 kudos that we get, um, certainly when you look at some of the public reports of what some donors contribute to some organizations and then, um, Uh, supporting an organization for people of color um certainly that those amounts get significantly smaller (laughs) um but Uh but yet the work we do is is actually more significant because we are dealing with a population that where this is needed so we we often Mm -hmm. get a lot of moral support but the lack of support the the financial support is lacking in comparison and that is what i was saying
0: i understand let me ask. Um, I'm gonna see how I can phrase this. So, the strings attached thing concern makes sense to me. Um, how would you address, you know, if somebody was to say, I don't want to be anti black about this, uh, but, you know, I've seen news stories about Black Lives Matters money getting misappropriated, mm-hmm. like, how, how can you, you know, what is the, what is the right way to ask and, and answer the question about like, sure. how do I take that into account with what you're saying here, essentially?
1: Right. So I think it is very unfair to take one. I mean, we can we can look at what happened with. The black, the black Lives Matter movement, how it splintered, how there were other organizations. But we certainly can look at, you know, like the Bernie Madoffs of the world and, and other people, other, you know, white leaders who have um, defunded or, you know, or who have um, basically sabotaged their organizations. So it isn't simply people of color doing it. Unfortunately, when it comes to societal notions about Black folks, those often become more highlighted. And and that's a question that we have to ask ourselves as well. How is it so easy to point the fingers at Black Lives Matter movements or, or black black-led organizations and just automatically say, well, if you give them money, they're going to misuse it. Um, and as as a secular community and, and people who pride themselves on evidence and verify principles, it's good to you 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 can't just simply paint that broad brush over all Black mm-hmm. organizations. And we can, you know, I can acknowledge definitely the, I, I don't just simply give a pass to the, you know, what happened with the Black Lives Matter organization initiatives. It's, it's good to, um, you know, to give a clear and objective look at it. Um, but mm-hmm. to apply that as if every Black organization would do the same thing is ultimately, would ultimately be considered racist And also this Mm -hmm. idea that, well, see, those black folks can't do anything right, which isn't true. There are a number of successful Black organizations and Black organizations that are working very hard with without, you know, with with less resources than than the Black Lives Matter organizations had incurred. So Mm -hmm. it's important to not play into those stereotypes about Black organizations simply because you're reading what's in the headlines.
0: Mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, so uh, we I, I picked up on that f- uh thread, but I wanted to go back to a few related things from your uh, talk on the like intellectualism concern, sure. the, the the uh resources concern. So there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one on there where you pushed back, you basically said, you know, uh, a concern might be thinking that reading books mm-hmm. resolves everything. Uh-huh. And so just to just to frame this into an objection, then you can respond, right? If I take that and I combine it with the earlier one about, you know, oversighting of white male academics, you know, I could make an argument that you're just sort of setting up a kind of... A shield against, you know, scholarship that might be used against you so that you can deflect, you know, objections to your arguments based on those kind of resources. How would you respond there?
1: Well, first, I never said that um, anyone should stop reading books, (laughs) first first and foremost. And I also never Ah. said that we should just stop lending credibility or credence to academic scholarship or even certain forms of authority. What I said was a constant appeal to them and constant because we are a movement of, of various ways of learning. So when there is, uh, you know, when, when we discredit or at least dismiss the creative process, you know, like, like music and other forms of learning and also the, you know, the, you know the, the notion and the idea not everyone learns by just sitting in a classroom. So education takes many forms and reading books is only one way to learn and also to become an activist. And something I did say during the talk is that there are many people in academia who they are in, they are in an intellectual bubble. Which means that they may not necessarily relate to what's going on the ground. There are many activists like myself who are doing so much that we may not even have time to just simply sit around and read books. That is a privilege <laughs> for many mm-hmm. people to to you know to to um to just have, you know, the I mean, sure, books are more accessible now than ever. And that is a good thing. And someone who read a lot as a kid, I certainly do not, you know, I I don't, um, you know, dismiss that. Reading books are important. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to especially anti-racism, um, there are a lot of now anti-racism book clubs. You know, there are now a lot of, there's a lot of talk about it. But when it comes to an institution like racism, which has had laws put into effect, you know, people have been economically disadvantaged, economically disfranchised. There is going to be more action that needs to take place, and getting more involved in community initiatives, especially in and environmental justice is a huge thing now. um you you cannot simply just read about how bad it is. We now have to play a part in in doing what's better for the world. So mm-hmm. when there's an opportunity for us to get more involved and so su- and also support, organizations. There is a phrase of mine that I love to use, put your money where your mouth is. So, um, you know, there are ways that you can, once you read those books and you have that education and information, what do you do about it? Then what are the next steps? Are you going to get more involved with organizations or or are you going to support the work that they do? Are you going to get out and volunteer? Are you going to do your, your civic duties? And, uh, and are you are are you also going to show more care and concern for communities of color that you're learning about by by lending your hands financially or even in other ways and providing other resources what do you do beyond that so mm-hmm. um there are a number of people in our community who you know they they're reading the books they you know they they're doing the literary work but when you ask them to go mm-hmm. a step further and actually financially support these organizations that are on the ground doing this work there's a hes- there's a hesitation there um so mm. i think it's you know you cannot just read your way out of racism or unlearning these racist principles or white supremacist ideals it's going to have to take a little more than that. And those of us who are on the ground and who've experienced this already know this. But for those who have had that academic privilege or an intellectual privilege, you know, the, the question becomes, what are you going to do now that you know more?
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. I I, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh in that same vein, so this is gonna get we've got, you know, maybe two of these left that are, I think, moving in the more broader direction. Um, a kind of broadening out of the anti intellectualism objection is this um, you know, standard drumbeat now that wokeness is just another religion. Um and so has, you know, and, and that takes a particular form. That actually I think argument arises not just from some parts of conservatism, but also from some parts of atheism that splintered off into the anti-woke space and promoted those arguments like the grievance hoaxers. Um, And and so they'll make the argument, right, that as a religion, wokeness has no place in the secular movement. You're just presenting a new dogma and telling everyone they have to listen to you and they can't argue back or they're racist. Uh, How do you personally respond to the wokeness is a religion objection?
1: Well, I find it very interesting that, you know, for a community that encourages an evidence and verified, um, you know, approach to life, this goes beyond religion. And even looking at the principles of religion that have informed and also implemented racism and other forms of injustice. Uh, it's important for us to understand how these these factors intersect how and how they impact communities of color. Religion hasn't just impacted in a, in a way of, you know, about the god concept. It has also informed institutions that have effectively impacted people of color and have led to, you know, the the denial of better opportunities, the denial of of access to better resources, and these are things that can be compounded with evidence and 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 pointing to even well meaning humanists and non believers who have been impacted by their societal notions and stereotypes about black people in particular. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think for many people, it's uncomfortable to have to come to terms with maybe I unintentionally did something to harm someone else. That's, you know, it's, it's understandable that it's uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that we stop pointing it out. There are many atheists in this community who would rather us just stick to state church separation issues. um, And how, you know, about religion and government. Um, but when it comes to a lens that they've become used to or that is comfortable for them, and they've never had to think about how that impacts Black communities in particular. And this notion that, well, these Black people should just stand up and just do things on their own and it's, it's, uh, it's okay or it's okay for them to ignore the societal factors that, pre- may, that may prevent more mm-hmm. more people of color for being involved in the movement and part of that is the is the outright dismissal of what we go through and so it's like it's not about being another religion because we actually in part we're, we're not just telling you to take our word for it we're actually pointing you to examples we're pointing you to behaviors we're pointing you to history and this is a part of what we're supposed to be doing as a community is it not So Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. these are the very things that our community is supposed to be standing for. And if we are expanding our scope simply beyond state church separation and looking to do better for the world and, and tackling these things that really do affect us, like again, like reproductive justice and how that disproportionately impacts black women in particular. Where there are mm-hmm. higher mortality rates and infant mortality rates, and there are you know, there are other you know, distinctive challenges that we face you know regarding our health and our communities. These are things that, as atheists and, and humanists and people who care more about the world from a non-religious perspective, these are things that you should want to know. Um, these mm-hmm. are things that, you know, as they impact us, even if it may not directly impact you. Um, we don't have the luxury to just sit in a bubble like many of our religious counterparts. Um, it's once you come out of that religious dogma, there's so much more to learn and it can become very, very, um, you know, it can be very overwhelming for many Mm -hmm. people, but this also denotes that you actually have to care and reshape what you, what you originally Uh, perceived and actually there is a there is a you may have to check your privilege that you may have had that you may not have necessarily thought about what it is like for people of color and how we go through things in our communities and that Mm -hmm. could be uncomfortable but that means that people who are traditionally used to having their way that means that they are being challenged and it is very uncomfortable and they're going to push back But guess what, you know, it's not, you know, just as time has changed, just as movements have changed, our community has to confront this. And sure there are gonna be people who are uncomfortable with it. There are gonna be people who are very, um, they might be very scared of what that means for more people coming into the movement and they actually have to be more considerate of others. So it's easy for them to, or their their, their defense is, well, you're just being, mm-hmm. you know, just being woke, you know, you're overtaken by the woke lords, because it's actually an accountability that we as a community charge the other side with, but they don't want to mm-hmm. do it themselves.
0: That makes sense so let me i got one more left and we have just enough time for this and then i can ask you for some additional resources that you already i think referenced one that i think is the best place for people to go to for starters sure. um but and this one is very special because it comes from a former leader of our movement um <laughs> who felt the need to comment in a video format and it is something like this right They said, you know, they've been with you for, you know, 10 years or whatever. You've been doing this for 10 years. You've been making these same arguments for 10 years and nothing's changed, right? And so their their position is your approach has failed, right? We haven't seen substantial increases in non-believers joining the movement. Um, And maybe that's because your approach doesn't work or because black people just aren't particularly interested in joining movement atheism. Um, And so, you know, we should stop worrying and like punishing ourselves about this non-existent problem as a movement and focus on other sorts of things. Um, what what sort of evidence or arguments would you sort of use to address an objection like that?
1: Yes, yeah, so first, let me let me clarify that I'm speaking only on behalf of my position as Black non-believers and not as a board member for American
0: Atheists.
1: This particular individual who was not at the talk and chose to speak from a very non-informed position. This person was terminated from their from their job about four years ago, and um, really has been disconnected to an extent from aspects of the movement um, that denotes more social justice. Um, we've actually Black non-believers has been around for eleven years and not ten. And while we appreciated the support that we have been given at that time, I mean, we certainly have paid it forward and have grown as an organization. Um, we started in Atlanta in 2011. We are now up to eight affiliates. I mean, they've, we've had affiliates that have come and gone. Um, we certainly have seen a decline in the number of the religiously affiliated in black communities. And this is according to Pew Research. Um, At one time, 10 years ago, it was 87%. Now it is down to 79%. Uh, This doesn't mean that everyone identifies as an atheist. However, we are seeing a shift that is being noticed by Pew Research. And they've actually reached out to us to discuss opportunities for future research Hmm. and how to better engage the non-religious community in their questions. Um, we certainly have had the opportunity to connect with interfaith organizations like the Baptist Joint F- Committee for uh, for Religious Liberty. We have also established a working relationship with the National Museum for African American Culture. Um, we have been featured in a number of media outlets, and even though we still experience a lack of funding or lack of support our support has actually grown like financially we're getting it we're trying to get it to a point where it is you know of on on par or somewhat on par with the other organizations but we are growing and this this individual um who was f- for all intents and purposes disgraced um they still have a very personal vendetta against um american okay. atheists per se and this notion that, I mean, I don't think in the past four years has even paid attention to what we've been doing as an organization and to just qualify our success by social media numbers and particularly Twitter followers. Um, our my motto has always been quality over quantity quality over quantity, and that it makes a difference when we are establishing foundational, Um, foundational changes, like when we connect Mm -hmm. with the National Museum for African American Culture. Um, Black Nonbelievers has started producing our own events. Uh, We host a cruise convention. We co-produce the Women of Color Beyond Belief Conference. So in addition to connecting with our fellow secular organizations, we have been producing our own content. We have been Uplifting and amplifying those voices. And as was noted in the Black Non Black Religious Americans report, we are still dealing with these institutional factors that prevent uh, and societal factors that make it harder for us to do our work. So, and, and even in spite of all that, we're still doing it. So, mm-hmm. you know, for actually, you know, we have like Black Non Believers is now the largest and most recognized black atheists and black non-religious organization. And that is because of the work that we have done. It is because of the coalitions that we've built, um, with our fellow secular organizations. So if we haven't just been sitting around doing absolutely nothing. And I think it is, it shows, it shows a very, very poor perspective from that individual who once again, did not even see the talk, was putting words in my mouth and for all intents and purposes, while he's claimed, while they're claiming to be an equal opportunity critic, um, it are st- is still benefiting from societal privilege and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that was definitely shown in the words that they spoke and trying to blatantly throw around that I am anti everything and that I'm the racist, especially when they did not have the, you know, they did not have the entire context of the talk. So that was an attack. And mm-hmm. luckily I, I, am, I really appreciate those who push back and support, especially those of you who were at the talk and who could better understand and could ask these questions to further clarify when they don't do that, they show their privilege, mm-hmm. they show their racism, they show their white supremacy and they don't deserve to be engaged.
0: I I agree with you. Um, I appreciate you letting me ask versions of these questions so that, you know, I think it will be really valuable to hear the responses. Um, But I I, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Um, So I've got to get you to the um, torture chamber here in a second. Um, But I always try to end with like resources for folks who might want to do a deeper dive on our conversation, the things we talked about. Is there any like one or two things you want to recommend to folks? Um, sure. Besides uh, the bl- the Black Free Thinkers book, which is a really good book. Absolutely. So yes, Chris, the the, the book by Chris Cameron, um, Black Free
1: Thinkers: A History of African American Secularism. I would also recommend that people check out the Black Non-Religious Americans Report, which is still on the American Atheist website. Uh, and for secular mm-hmm. survey, uh, there is a really good con- uh, there is a really good documentary on Amazon Prime called Contradiction. Um, a question mm. of faith by uh, Jeremiah Kamara, Um, and also go to the black nonbelievers website and look at our work and see what we do. And, um, also, um, humanist in the hood by Sakivu hutchinson you can find that um, on our website also um the book when colorblindness isn't the answer by dr anthony penn many people may be familiar with him uh it may be really really good to read the works of black humanists and atheist authors and they are out there so Mm -hmm. those are just a few Mm -hmm. to start
0: Great. All right. So I'll let you give your info at the end. But first, I have to do a little bit of the torture. So okay, this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. So for folks who are not familiar, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a list of things you're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Those are your only options. You don't get to hedge. You don't get to define what you mean by real in this context. So it's just real or not real. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) All right. So first of all, just to check, is anything real? No. Nothing. You don't think anything in the world is real?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Any, okay, well, okay. Anything, you know, that's kind of oh, yes.
0: Oh, I see. Or some things real? Excuse yes. Me, some things are real. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. You are absolutely in the philosopher spirit here. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. So first of all, external world, real or not real? Real. Okay. Colors, real or not real? Real. Phenomenal consciousness, which is your inner world of experience. I would say not real. Okay. Free will? Not real. Selves or persons? Real. Genders? Real. Races? Real. Okay. Yes. Species? Real. Real. Morality? Ugh. It's real
1: to an extent, no. But I would say they're not, not real. It's, oh boy, yeah. So if it's it's just a yes or no, if it's just one or other, I would say not real. Not real.
0: Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Rights? Real. Hmm. Knowledge? Real. God or gods? Not real. Society? Real. Money? real (laughs) (laughs) numbers real fictional characters not real holes like a hole in the ground real chairs real sandwiches real science real natural laws not real beauty not real love real causality not real and finally time
1: to me that's real <laughs> okay. i was like to me
0: <laughs> okay all right you survived how do you feel i feel good <laughs> yeah you had fun with that one
1: you know it's it's weird you know it's weird because as a as a fellow humanist skeptic you know you're like well there's some gray areas there and you know i i i yeah. feel i'm victim i fall victim to that too <laughs> but you're like uh, i understand That's yeah, not necessarily just a straight answer but you know <laughs> that's so
0: funny <laughs> well i appreciate you accepting the torture and the spirit in which it is conveyed no problem um, <laughs> Mandisa, so this has been a lot of fun and hopefully you can stick around we'll talk a little bit uh a little bonus content um, but for folks who can't join us for that, do you want to let them know where they can find you on the Twitters and the whatnots? Absolutely. So, yes, you may find Black Nonbelievers all over the
1: Internet. We, you can find us at our website at blacknonbelievers.org. You, we have a Facebook page. We have a public page and a um, private Facebook group for fellow nonbelievers. We are on Instagram at be inc. We are on Twitter at be nonbelievers. The B and N are capitalized. Let's help get those Twitter numbers up, since that's supposedly a measure of our success.
0: And <laughs> the only measure of success yeah. that I know of, <laughs> right?
1: And we are on uh, YouTube at Black Nonbelievers Inc. And you can please do subscribe to our channel. We now have we started um, producing a show called In the Cut, which airs every first and third. Saturday on YouTube. So please be sure to check out previous episodes. And of course, we encourage you to learn more about and support our organization.
0: And you all have a, a, a think, right, a conference coming up soon, right? Women's, uh, non-believer women's of color situation? Yeah, we
1: have the Women of Color Beyond Belief Conference, which takes place from mm-hmm. September twenty, September 30th to October 2nd in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and also we have BNC Con 2022. That is our cruise convention, uh, which is from November 26th through December 3rd. We will have some fantastic speakers and activities for both events and i encourage folks to uh, participate register and also and, and or support if you can.
0: Yeah, if you want to see a, a non-believers conference where all the speakers are women of color, that's an interesting thing to finally get to see, right? It has you know, been amazing
1: um, the past 2 years we've done it. You know, people don't realize wow. how many women of color are in this movement and who are doing some fantastic work and instead of likes like uh was implied as was implied going around and saying they're not doing enough we decided you know that we were going to amplify those voices and encourage people to support the work we do so and if that leads to more people and if that if that leads to more exposure and opportunities for them then so be it
0: great all right well it has been a lot of fun i appreciate it thank you as a human i was ill-equipped to thank you But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest monthly Voidling patron, Alex Nelson, and the once and future Wonk, and Gunther, and our newest yearly Voidling patron, Kant Ponder Russell's Peapot. It's very good. Uh, Plus, thanks to our newest yearly Avout patron, Russ. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate the support. As always, I'd like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Jay Aldenwalt, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, This Is Your Brain Speaking, Ha, Whoa, Dude, Fix the Vote, That Bastard, Neil Polzin. Chad T, Jesse Urbinowitz, and Brenda Goodman, and all the thanks to our Archduke-level patrons Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. Um, if you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space, and while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons's Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod, or Email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just four dollars a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, no matter what the white Christian nationalists say, you are the void, and the void is you.